From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A special hello to all of you listening in on one of our growing list of affiliate stations from Alaska to Lubbock, Texas. Howdy to all of you catching this program on our podcast at TalkZone, and of course, those of you listening via the Conspiracy Show app. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, is with us for the full hour. She's coming up next. Now, she normally joins us at this time every month for our Paranormal News Roundup. But tonight, uh, this morning, she's here, as I say, for the full hour to discuss her new book, which she has co-authored with John Zaffis. And that book is chock full of cases involving demonic possessions, demonic hauntings, true stories from the John Zaffis vault. Uh, a quick programming note, next week on the show, uh, Black Ops, Aliens, Spirits, Bigfoot, and Our Untold History uh, with Ian Patterson. Uh, plus, Michael Fitzhugh Bell returns to the program to discuss electronic harassment and mind control. Leading paranormal experts John Zaffis and Rosemary Ellen Guiley plumbed the depths of bizarre phenomena involving demonic spirits, the restless dead, demon boxes, gin, 9-11 World Trade Center disaster relics, and much more. They explored haunted homes and landscapes, teeming with spirits and entities who pester and terrorize both people and animals, and defiantly refuse to let go. In addition, the authors discuss exclusive, never-before-told stories deeply personal to John Zaffis about urgent messages he has received from his famous demonologist uncle, Ed Warren, who is on the other side. What is Ed saying about John, his work, and perhaps even the future of demonology? Well, we're going to discuss all of that right now. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is one of the leading experts on the paranormal with more than 50 books published by major houses on a wide range of paranormal spiritual and mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias. Her work is translated into 15 languages, and as I say, she is the co-author, along with John Zaffis, of Demon Haunted, True Stories from the John Zaffis Vault. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, how are you? Well, I'm doing well, Richard. I had a real busy year, finally wrapped up my last event in November, and now I'm into a writing phase for much of the winter. Wow, wow. You just keep churning out some incredible uh, product, and uh, now the latest is Demon Haunted, True Stories from the John Zappas Vault. This is your second book with John. Uh, Two years ago, you wrote Haunted by the Things You Love. Uh, For those not familiar with John Zaffis, who's been described as the godfather of the paranormal. He's got kind of an interesting pedigree. Tell me about uh, John Zaffis. John is the nephew of Ed Warren, and Ed Lorraine Warren are two of the most famous demonologists in modern times. Ed now has passed over. He died in 2006. But Ed and Lorraine did a lot of sensational cases, and they uh, made artful use of the media. They worked on the Amityville case and... Uh, some other very high-profile cases. Um, they were both quite knowledgeable. Ed was very knowledgeable about the paranormal, about demons and, and uh, magic, and he imparted a lot of his knowledge to John. 
John worked with them for uh, quite a few years before he went out on his own, and uh, he has been on his own for quite some time, and um, has taken on uh, demonology uh, cases, does a lot of paranormal investigations, and he's really earned that title of Godfather of the Paranormal. So Ed was his blood uncle, but they treated John sort of as, as their son. So he became, I guess, uh, their, their, their apprentice and uh, his successor. Yes, that's right. Uh, Ed and Lorraine had a daughter, but um, you know Ed treated John like his own son. And um, John was very close to him for most of his life. Ed suffered uh, a stroke and uh, passed away. And uh, we, we talk about Ed a lot in this uh, particular book. Now, Ed and Lorraine's work has carried on with a, a film franchise, and uh, some of their stories that they published in books have been turned into films. Annabelle was very successful. There have been two movies called The Conjuring. Uh, and uh, Ed's daughter and uh, Ed and Lorraine's daughter and her husband are continuing that franchise, and John is developing his own work. What's the difference between a demonologist and and I mean you're one of the world's foremost paranormal researchers, but what's the difference between what you do and a and a demonologist? A demonologist is someone who uh, focuses on cases involving demons, and that would be uh, oppression, uh, possession, uh, cases that would need exorcism. And there is a crossover in the field. Uh, I take on many uh, demon and, and gin cases. Gin are very similar to demons. And so in that respect, uh, I'm a demonologist as well. Uh, and I studied uh, demonology, the history and lore of, uh, of demons. And uh, I, the difference is that I don't focus solely on them. Uh, John doesn't focus solely on them either, but I would say the the bulk of his work has involved uh, these kinds of negative cases. Of course, people who uh, uh, will be familiar with John Zaffis's uh, sci-fi channel a television show, uh, the, the Haunted Collector, and he has a, a vast storehouse of haunted possessions, dolls and clowns and just about any object. Uh, but what here this is you're sort of um, honing in on something more specific. I mean, what do you what do you mean by demon haunted? This was a term that we deliberately chose. Uh, for, first of all, um, it, it is uh, to pique the interest of the audience and scary things do interest people. But so many things literally are demon-haunted. And in, in our first book, Haunted by the Things You Love, we focused on objects. And as you mentioned, Richard, uh, John has spent a lot of time um, working with objects that have acquired negative spirits for one reason or another, and they've caused a lot of problems. So we featured objects. And in uh, the second book, we wanted to broaden that out to uh, haunted people and haunted land, as well as objects. And it's also part of our educational push, too. We have educational material besides the cases and stories in uh, both of the books. And uh, in the West, the, the term demon uh, usually uh, conjures up an image of something uh, utterly evil, that's uh, a being working for Satan, and uh, this uh, entity is, is trying to destroy you and steal your soul, when in fact that's really only part of the demonic realm. Uh, 
elsewhere around the world, and also uh, going back to ancient times, views about the demonic realm were much broader. They involved uh, a big range of tricky kinds of spirits that could be maybe just pranksters uh, and even benign entities that would interfere, however, and cause some upsets to the out-and-out malevolent uh, terrorists that we associate with the satanic sort of entity. And so a lot of these cases don't involve uh, entities that, that we could pin down as evil, per se, but they're malevolent and they're hostile, and they upset, they create chaos and cause problems. So um, that was uh, part of our reason for choosing the title Demon Haunted and that it could be applied to a much broader brushstroke than um, uh, just objects. All of the uh, the cases, um, that at least those that involve uh, objects, uh, are they all part of John's Museum of the Paranormal, his, his sort of his personal collection that's on his property? Uh for the most part, yes. Uh, in Haunted by the Things You Love, everything came from John's museum, and he has, um, well, just on display, hundreds of articles, <clears throat> and he's got uh, hundreds more stuffed away in boxes. He's probably uh, got thousands of, of objects that he's collected for more than 30 years. In Demon Haunted, um, we have a mix of John's cases, some of my cases, and then we included a case from a paranormal uh, researcher friend of ours. Um, the object itself is not in anyone's possession anymore. It's buried in the earth because it had a negative spirit attached to it. But uh, this is an individual that's worked with both me and John, and it, it was a very dramatic story, so we decided to include it in the book. Well, which one is that? Let's. Can we begin with that? Oh, absolutely. It's a great story. It's called uh, The Thing in the Stone Egg, and it involves a young man named Justin Spurrier who lives in the Midwest. And uh, this haunted egg was found in a house that he bought, um, and uh, it came with all the furnishings in it. It had been owned by a very religious family from Mexico, and um, kind of the creepy thing about it was the husband had died suddenly, and the wife had left a lot in the house as kind of a shrine to him. And we've run into this before in um, haunted places uh, where uh, a family member dies and usually a bedroom is turned into a shrine and it acquires, uh, you know, a kind of a heavy uh, energy to it. But they had moved out and left everything in the house and nobody in the family wanted anything. Uh, and so Justin found this, what appeared to be an, an egg-sized piece of polished agate in um, uh, the house, and he decided to keep it. And there evidently was something attached to it. Now, the house had been full of um, crucifixes and crosses that had been left on the walls, which in and of itself may not be unusual because um, in very religious Catholic families, uh, this is often the case where uh, crucifixes guard the uh, the doorways and the walls and things like that. But sometimes if people feel that they're under a supernatural assault or they're guarding against something, they will put up a lot of, of uh, religious things like that. So we don't know uh, what went on in the history of the house. But something was attached to this egg, and... 
Justin took it home to where he was still living while he was cleaning out this other house, getting ready for his family to move in. And uh, he brought it into the house and and stuck it into uh, a chest of drawers in his bedroom. And perhaps it was jostling of the article, taking it out of its environment, uh, sometimes handling something with a spirit attachment will cause uh, a spirit to break free. He'd used it uh, in a joke that he played on his children. Uh, we speculated whether that might have upset something attached to the spirit, but a negative force was attached to this stone. And the first night that um, it was in Justin's bedroom after he and his wife went to sleep, uh, he woke up in the middle of the night to see this black mass shoot out of the drawer where oh, the egg dear. was. Oh, dear. <laughs> And it went straight up in the air and then came straight down on him and landed on him with force. And uh, he started to feel like he was being choked and suffocated. And also, like there was some sort of gigantic python wrapped around him that was literally squeezing the breath out of him. Oh, my. Listen, Rosemary, I'm going to jump in right here. We're going to, we're going to leave the story there. And um, when we come back, we'll continue uh, to discuss this remarkable tale, just one from a, a vast collection all contained in A Demon Haunted, True Stories from the John Zaffis Vault, co-author Rosemary Ellen Guiley, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Warning, if you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back, because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $5,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-957-9569. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee, so there's no risk. For free information, call now. 1-800-957-9569. That's 1-800-957-9569. 1-800-957-9569. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, the website VisionaryLiving.com. VisionaryLiving.com. She joins us every month. And uh, we are here for the full hour with Rosemary to discuss her latest that she has co-authored with the godfather of the paranormal, John Zaffas. This one's called Demon Haunted, True Stories from the John Zaffas Vaults. All right. So uh, where were we now, Rosemary? This... Um, this haunted egg, or this demon-haunted egg, uh, this in possession of this uh, gentleman, it was in his home, and uh, this he placed the egg in a, a chest of drawers, and then this black entity came rising out of the drawer like a like smoke, and then landed on him. I mean, at that point, it sounds like it's taken, you know, physical form. It's it, it landed on him with considerable heft. It did, and it felt very physical to him. This is a very strange characteristic of contact with entities that 
it, it seems to be that if they want to exert mass and force on us, it's, it's just like uh, fighting uh, a person. But uh, if they choose to be uh, immaterial, they can pass through walls, they can disappear, your hand can go straight through them. Uh, and this entity was suffocating and squeezing Justin. What made the case even more unusual is that he felt himself levitate up off the bed, and he said his back was arched. Now, he didn't go flying up to the ceiling like um, you know, a Hollywood movie might portray, but he was uh, a number of inches off the bed uh, with his back arched, and he, mm. he uh, couldn't uh, cry out. His wife was asleep. Uh, this also is a common characteristic of attacks like this, where um, a person on the other side of the bed is oblivious uh, to what's going on. And uh, he was praying mentally uh, to try and break the hold of this thing, praying for his wife to wake up. Uh, and she finally did, and the force broke, uh, and he fell back on the bed. She did not see him come down. She wakes up to find him on the bed gasping for air. Uh, well, Justin was so shaken, as you can imagine, by this that he knew he had to do something right away. So he gets on the phone, and friends connect him to a priest who starts praying with him uh, to uh, you know, get rid of this, this evil force. Uh, and the priest told him that he needed to get it out of the house, which is a good thing to do with an afflicted object, and that he should bury it. Now, I would have gotten in the car and taken that thing out out into some remote area and buried it, but Justin buried it in his backyard. Oh, no. <laughs> and What was he thinking? <laughs> I, I think he was just thinking, you know, it's the middle of the night, and, you know, let's... Uh, get it out of the house at least. Right. Uh, so he, he buries it in the backyard. And also there actually uh, was a bit of wisdom to that because uh, at least he would be able to monitor it uh, to to see if you know the situation could be taken care of. So he's on pins and needles for several days and nothing happens. But his dog suddenly develops an interest in this buried egg and keeps digging it up. And so the dog digs it up, and Justin has to rebury it, and the dog digs it up. This goes on several times. Uh, each time it happens, he's petrified that whatever came with this agate egg is going to attack him again. But fortunately, there are no more attacks. So Justin and his family moved into the new house, and a friend took the old house, and he was aware of the history of what had gone on and the fact that this afflicted egg was buried in the yard and uh, it's still there and uh, has not been disturbed now, and there have been no further incidents. So here we have a case of uh, something that was obviously attached to the segment, how or why. Uh, and Justin did attempt to talk to family members of the previous owners. Nobody wanted the egg. Nobody wanted to talk to him. Nobody, they didn't want photographs that he found. Nothing. Hmm. There was something that had gone on in that house that uh, was, we feel, supernaturally dark. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us, co-author of D Demon Haunted, uh, True Stories from the John Zaffis Vault. John Zaffis, the co-author, and of course uh, familiar to uh, those of you who have seen The Haunted Collector. 
uh, in the second chapter, you and John ask, does a mere, does a mere image of something demonic or evil have the power to haunt and possess? This is something I've long wondered. Uh, it's one of the reasons, for example, that we don't bring certain movies into the house. We're not going to watch The Exorcist on, on TV in our house and so forth. I mean, that's, that's more than an image. That's a, that's a movie, moving pictures. But, so, I mean, what is your, what is your, um, your judgment on this? Does an image of something demonic or evil, because you have images of, uh, you know, uh, Baphomet, for example, which is a, of a satanic symbol. You have images of Baphomet in your book. I mean, can they, do they have the power to haunt or possess? An, an image itself is probably not going to have an effect on someone, but uh, if it has been used in some sort of ritual, especially a summoning ritual, uh, then there is the potential for uh, something to be uh, attracted to an image like a painting or a photograph, uh, the same way that an object can acquire a spirit. And in that particular uh, chapter, we um, feature a velvet painting of a grotesque demonic face that um, a family found in an attic of a house they bought. And uh, apparently the teenage children of the previous owners had gotten involved in summoning uh, because uh, around the painting were scraps of paper with spells on them and books about magic and uh, summoning spirits. And um, uh, something had, uh, and there was a little altar, but this painting had been left behind uh, when the family moved out. And um, the odd thing was that when the new family moved in, a husband and wife and uh, a little toddler uh, it was a while before they even explored the attic. Um, I, I find that kind of a mystery myself mm-hmm. because you would think that if you bought a house, you'd, you'd want to know every nook and cranny of it. Basements and attics. Basements and attics. And, and uh, there was activity in the house, weird activity in the house. And so finally the husband goes up to the attic and he finds this painting up there. And he just knows that it's evil. Uh, so he brings in a religious group of people to pray the evil away. And while they're doing that, there's, it kicks up a ruckus of activity in the house. Um, and even the, the religious people are, are frightened of it. Um, and uh, he finally winds up getting John involved. And uh, John uh, took the painting out, and that took care of the, uh, of the activity. Uh, we've had other cases where uh, images uh, like the Baphomet image um, have have been used in rituals. There have been images painted on floors, for example, ritual circles and symbols. And um, they've been in houses that people have acquired. We had one case where um, a woman thought it was cool, you know, that something of a dark ritual nature had been painted on the floor of the house she was buying. And uh, uh, what a big surprise, you know, she moves in and, and there's uh, negative activity in the house. So these things can be used to attract spirit uh, activity. But uh, my feeling is an image in and of itself um, is, is not automatically problematic. Unless it has been used in some sort of ritual. Uh, correct. Uh, sometimes disturbing images, uh, for example, I would not keep images of horrible demonic uh, faces in my house. I would just find them too disturbing, 
and I wouldn't want that psychological upset going on because um, uh, who knows what uh, could lead from that. just getting back to John Zaffis's collection for a moment, and this is a big barn that he has on his property uh, that houses this. Um, and one day, I guess his his intention is to have this to be a sort of a public museum. But is there an artifact, a particular artifact in there that um, even you and John are frightened by or disturbed by? Uh, well, uh, we yes, in fact. Um, there's probably more than one, but I can think of one right off off the top that every time I go there, it bothers me. And we feature it in Haunted by the Things You Love, and it's a it's a uh, an idol head. And uh, here again, it's an ugly, demonic kind of idol head that probably had been used in rituals that um, a teenage boy picked up in a yard sale. Thought it was cool as teenagers often think ugly, horrible things are. Uh, And he brought it home and suddenly developed a fascination for magic and the occult. He started getting books on summoning. Uh, He spent more and more time in his room uh, doing things with this idol head. And uh, his grades started slipping at school, and it got to a point where he literally became possessed. And he confessed to his parents that uh, he thought that he had brought something into the house and it was possessing him and it was trying to kill him. Um, By the time John got involved uh, in that case, uh, he recommended a religious exorcism on the boy, and more than one had to be performed. Uh, When cases like that happen, the individual usually has, has to be on their guard for much of the rest of their life. Um, that that doorway doesn't come open again. It was uh, a terrifying case for the entire family. Well, when John acquires these articles, um, he binds them, um, and he has a his own ritual of prayer uh, and that, uh, invoking uh, angelic power and using uh, holy water and sea salt. Uh, Sea salt has iron in it, and that's um, kind of a prophylactic against um, uh, negative spirits. And he uses those to nullify the activity of the object, and some of them he places in containers like glass reliquaries so that people don't touch them and move them around. Uh, which can disturb these energetic bindings. Well, that idol head, um, it sits out in the open, uh, and but it has been um, nullified. Uh, but it's very disturbing to look at, and it, it, to me it feels like it still has a very weird energy field around it. And uh, John has commented that many visitors to the collection say the same thing, that if they get too close to it, they start to feel uncomfortable. Uh, You give us kind of, in the book, Demon Haunted, uh, there's kind of a crash course in the various types of spirits and entities, and and, uh, you touch on the demonic realm and uh, jinn, of course, which you have researched and written about extensively. Uh, And here's something I didn't know, uh, that King Solomon actually summoned jinn to do his bidding. Is that in the Bible? Well, in um, uh, the Bible, these they're called spirits, 
that when wow. Solomon assumes the throne uh, after his father David dies, uh, God asks him what he would like, and, and God is pleased when Solomon says he wants knowledge and wisdom. You know, he doesn't want power. And so God actually bestows power on him as a favor then, and he gives Solomon uh, control over the spirit world. And in in his time and in his location, these spirits would have been jinn. Ah. Uh, and they are called jinn in texts that are outside the canon. The Testament of Solomon, for example, tells the story in much more detail than the Bible, and they are called jinn. Oh, fascinating. Uh, and there are quite a few stories of uh, Solomon having uh, various interactions with the jinn. See, I always when... learn something when you come on here, uh, Rosemary. Listen, we'll take a time out when we come back. I do want to talk uh, about, this is something I didn't know about, thought forms and projections when it comes to haunted objects, people, and places. Demon Haunted, true stories from the John Zaffis vault with co-author Rosemary Ellen Guiley right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. People who can afford a LASIK procedure sure are lucky. Imagine being able to throw away your contacts and glasses. Imagine waking up tomorrow with 20-20 vision. Too bad everyone can't afford LASIK. Well, guess what? There's a company that agrees with you. TLC Laser Eye Centers is now offering great prices on high-quality LASIK to make it affordable for everyone. That means you get the latest FDA-approved all-laser LASIK technology for less than what others charge. And if you call right now, we'll schedule a free appointment so you can discover if LASIK is right for you. Results may vary. Call 1-800-930-5726. Even better, if you're one of the first hundred callers, ask about an extra $400 off your all-laser LASIK procedure. That's $200 off per eye. We've already performed over 2 million procedures. Let us help you. Discover how you can get the quality LASIK experience you deserve for less than what others charge. For your free appointment, call 1-800-930-5726. 1-800-930-5726 The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our resident paranormal investigator, researcher, and author of well over uh, 60 books. It must be getting close to 70 uh, now. Her website is visionaryliving.com, and the newest co-authored with John Zaffis is Demon Haunted, True Stories from the John Zaffis Vault. I wanted to ask you about thought forms and projections, because I wasn't familiar with uh, these two terms as it, as it pertains to hauntings. This is an area that I think bears more study and research in in the paranormal, uh, which is the involvement of human beings and human consciousness in the haunting phenomena that they experience. I don't think it's likely that thoughts and feelings from a person are going to create a negative entity that acts out in sinister ways, but they can certainly contribute to conditions that uh, make that very favorable. And there has been evidence demonstrated in parapsychology that humans can create artificial entities, thought forms, literally, that that can have a limited range of, of action. A group that did the Philip experiments back in the 1970s, they did group seances, uh, they created a personality and named it, gave it a backstory and then tried to get it to communicate on its own in seances and succeeded at it. But Philip never went beyond 
the backstory that they had created for him. It never got a completely independent life of its own. And I think this demonstrates the impact that we have on an environment. Well, if we're unhappy, depressed, grieving, this is very powerful emotional energy that can create a force in the environment, and it can lodge in space, and other people can pick up on it. And if that energy is strong enough, objects and places can exhibit um, a kind of haunting personality. Activity can, uh, can erupt from that. So we do contribute to uh, some of our experiences that way. Uh, and I, th- I think we need to be more aware of that when we um, when, um, look for causes for hauntings. That's interesting. A skeptic might suggest that, that these thought forms and projections and our thoughts becoming manifest in sort of poltergeist activity, etc., that might might be the explanation for, for, for most, if not all, paranormal activity. That's what the skeptics might argue. Well, it certainly is a factor. And for example, in, uh, in the parapsychology literature, there has been some study on uh, psychokinesis cases, uh, the re- recurrent uh, spontaneous um, psychokinesis, which is human-oriented uh, and not spirit-oriented, where individuals seem to be able to throw off this... Um, uncontrolled kind of wild emotional energy that erupts in, in such things as objects moving around, uh, even being thrown around, light bulbs exploding, uh, and uh, even physical manifestations like uh, cuts and puncture wounds. There have been um, cases uh, like that. Uh, and they seem to be traced to an individual in the household who's undergoing uh, some sort of extreme emotional period, uh, either a lot of repressed sexuality or adolescents who are going through a really rough puberty, things like that. And uh, these cases settle down when individuals settle down. Um, The question is, does this energy also attract a spirit energy that could contribute to that? Mm. Uh, And we don't know where the boundaries are. You've also written a lot about portals and how certain landscapes, certain areas can be uh, haunted, and in this case, demon haunted. But you also describe that, or in the book that these portals, there seems to be a pattern, a geophysical signature. Uh, we just got a couple of minutes here, but, but walk me through some of the geophysical signatures of, of, of what uh, these, these portals and why they may be demon haunted. They don't guarantee um, a, a portal, but they can be found in various combinations in the portals that we know about, areas of high ongoing activity. Uh, one is uh, presence of some sort of um, magnetic stuff in the soil, like iron um, quartz, which has a mild electrical field around it, um, Mining operations, which uh, provide a lot of tunneling below the earth, high water tables where um, soil holds a lot of water all all the time. Um, These are often configurations that we find in in portal areas where activity goes goes on on a constant level, and it includes a wide range of things like UFOs, mysterious creatures, uh, badly haunted places, bad luck, accidents, what people would call a cursed land. 
All right, Rosemary, we're going to take a time out. And when we come back, I want to talk about uh, some of these haunted relics from the 9-11 tragedy. Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be back to discuss more of Demon Haunted, true stories from the John Zaffis Vault. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, VisionaryLiving.com, the website, Demon Haunted, True Stories from the John Zaffa's Vaults. Uh, talk to me about uh, some of these uh, Demon Haunted 9-11 relics. Uh, very sad and poignant stories there, and uh, John has one of these relics in his collection. It's a couple of pieces of twisted steel uh, that are in the form of a cross that were given to the partner of a victim who died in 9-11. And there were a number of these um, mementos that were given to survivors. Uh, now, whenever there's a tragedy like that, violent death, um, and this was on such a mass scale, um, and it had such an impact on not only New York City and America, but the world. There was an intense generation of negative psychic energy uh, in that event, and we should not be surprised that um, bits and pieces of the rubble would have acquired some of that negative energy. Well, in, in this particular case with the, uh, the cross, uh, it was given to a man and um, he took it home and, uh, of course, it reminded him of the tragedy. So he had a projection of his own negative emotions, but uh, this object itself seemed to instill um, a very heavy, afflicted, sad, uh, dark energy into his house and uh, he kept moving it around to different locations and finally he just uh, wanted to get rid of it because um, uh, of what this symbolized and also the energy it carried and it's not very big it's just a few inches uh, in uh, width and height but it, it packs um, a very strong energetic uh, punch and I do believe that these pieces of rubble carry uh, the death energy of uh, people who were killed in that tragedy. Now, this is in the shape of a cross, which begs the question, could a holy item, like a crucifix, could that be haunted? Well, we do have cases, uh, and this does shock people, we do have cases of religious objects that uh, are afflicted with uh, negative spirits that are cursed with negative energy. Um, John has crucifixes, statues of Jesus, the Virgin Mary, saints, statues of angels, uh, various uh, objects from uh, church services that were employed by people in spell casting. And they chose these objects because they associated them with conduits to the spirit world that uh, they felt that these were powerful objects and that power could be turned in a negative way, not just a positive way. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, this is entirely possible. 
Uh, but it is counterintuitive. I mean, you, you would think that these artifacts would repel, uh, uh, you know, any sort of demonic uh, entity. Well, they wind up being tools with a power in them. And quite often, uh, uh, well, some of these things have come from churches. And uh, frankly, Richard, I find the energy in a lot of churches very sad and depressed because um, people go to church usually when they're in pain and, and sorrow and trouble, and they're looking for help. And so they bring that energy into church with them and sit in that energy while they pray and touch things. Uh, and I think the objects then uh, acquire that, that heaviness. And the objects are treated as conduits to the spirit world. Uh, and so I think that in some cases it is possible to twist that power around and uh, use it for something dark. Uh, for example, one of the statues of, of Jesus that uh, John has um, was used for cursing. And written curses were uh, placed underneath the statue of Jesus and then prayed on uh, for bad things to happen to people. Mm. Uh, so people are often uh, shocked about that, uh, and they think that uh, religious relics couldn't possibly um, hold negative energy, uh, but they can. Uh, another case we have uh, came from um, an exorcism case that uh, actually was made into a movie. It was a haunting in Connecticut. Uh, a family moved into an old funeral parlor that um, had a, a lot of negative energy in it, and exorcisms were performed in the house. And uh, during one of them, uh, the um, uh, priest had brought in uh, some religious statues to place around the house uh, during these uh, rituals. And in one of them, uh, a statue of the Virgin Mary had its hands melted off mysteriously. Uh, and the priest wouldn't take it back. Hmm. Uh, and uh, so the object was uh, sort of spiritually cleansed, and the woman kept it for a long time, and then she, she did give it to John. But it's a statue of the Virgin Mary, who has no hands, and uh, they believe that the demonic force in the house literally melted the hands off the statue. Oh, my. Uh, I would think that there'd be a special place in hell reserved for someone that would use a religious artifact like that to, to uh, you know, to, to, to cast spells and so forth. It, it is very low to me, just very, very low. The lowest, absolutely. We were talking about 9-11 uh, and these relics from 9-11 that are haunted. Uh, have you have you tried to capture uh, EVPs in and around uh, what was Ground Zero? I did some years ago, and uh, I went down to 9-11 because I uh, live in Connecticut, so I'm not far away from New York City. And I, uh, I did go down uh, a few weeks after um, the uh, tragedy had happened, and uh, it was very active, uh, and I think it still is. Uh, even though a new tower has been built and all the rubble, of course, has been cleared away, the psychic imprint in that area... Um, will not go away for a long, long time, in my opinion. Now, this is an area that already had a lot of haunting activity in it, and uh, I think it's been intensified of that. But uh, people still see apparitions down there. Um, 
when I was down there, um, yeah, even a couple of years after, uh, I did make a visit, um, um, well, actually it was about five years after uh, the event, and I did still see apparitions down there. Uh, I think you, saw there you saw them? You saw them? What did you see, Rosemary? Um, well, they look like um, kind of semi-transparent forms. I had the impression of I went down with a psychic and another psychic, and I had the impression that these were uh, people who were just kind of still stuck. They were, like, confused. They didn't know what was going on. They were, um, I, I think some of them didn't, still didn't even know they were dead. Uh, just fleeting impressions. Um, I did capture some EVPs, uh, which just sounded like jumbles of voices mm-hmm. uh, and people in panic and, um, you know, horrible sounds in the background. Uh, and uh, it, it's still very raw, and uh, people don't like to talk about it. Uh, publishers for a long time didn't want 9-11 stuff in books. Of course, I can imagine. Um, it's it's finally started to come out in a few books, uh, and um, as I mentioned, I think that these residual energies will be around for a long time. Demon haunted, true stories from the John Zaffis vault. Uh, after you, I mean, you're constantly immersed in this stuff, but this uh, with this project, it seems it was a little more intense, uh, particularly when you sort of combine. Your experiences, your vast experiences in in the paranormal with 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 John's and his dealings with demonology. Um, do you find after you finish a project like this, when you are immersed in these case studies with these artifacts and relics and and uh, images and so forth, that you have to step away and, and sort of cleanse yourself? I do, Richard, uh, and. Sometimes I have to do it a lot. It depends on um, you know the the kinds of of cases. Uh, in uh, doing Demon Haunted, a lot of it was compilation, of course, from cases that had already been closed. Um, some were still going on, but even so, you know, when you're dealing with with these kinds of afflictions that people have suffered, uh, you do have to open up your consciousness to. Um, that energy and to a, a certain level of the spirit world, and uh, I I often need a break after that. In fact, there are certain things that I will not work on at night, and uh, also when I'm working on certain topics having to do with the demonic and the jinn, uh, I usually burn a black candle uh, and. Black absorbs negative energy, and I will do extra prayers in my home altar and keep a black candle burning uh, and not do certain things in the middle of the night <laughs> or even late at night because the energy just gets very strange, and um, that's when the spirit world is more active. And I, I think that um, working on these, it, it attracts attention uh, and Spirits come around and they want to know what you're doing and look over your shoulder. Uh, we just have a couple minutes left, but just give us a taste of um, a, a part of the book. It's uh, one of the uh, the last, I think it is the last chapter, and that is John Zaffis, again, his uncle, Ed Warren, uh, a very famous uh, demonologist, 
who passed away in 2006, and, and uh, Ed has been reaching out to his nephew, John. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, Ed passed away in 2006, and he uh, immediately started communicating to people around John that he had messages for John. And uh, uh, this intensified last year after John had a heart attack and uh, got rushed to the hospital and had a stent put in. And that seemed to open him up even more. Uh, And Ed has been quite talkative, uh, not only to John, but to me, to people, other investigators, and he he's always talking about messages involving books, files, letters, and that it's important for John to pay attention. Uh, we've not been able to locate uh, any books, files, and letters that we think uh, are literal things. We've been wondering if these are uh, symbolic things that he's trying to talk about uh, related to John's the direction of John's career, and uh, we're speculating perhaps even the future of, of demonology, because Ed was quite concerned about um, some of the things he saw in the field, uh, people with uh, very little knowledge and background passing themselves off as experts and creating more problems than they solve. And this is an ongoing story that uh, is still open, and we, uh, we expect to pick it back up for uh, book three. Uh, an entire book about the communications from uh, the late Ed Warren to, to John and yourself. Well, at least an, another good chapter in it. All right. Well, look forward to that. Rosemary, always a pleasure. Congratulations on Demon Haunted, True Stories from the John Zaffis Vault. I appreciate your time. Always a pleasure. Same with me, Richard. Thank you so much. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, VisionaryLiving.com. That's it for us. My thanks to uh, Ian Robertson, Albert Vinzel, of course, and uh, Ryan White. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. <laughs>